Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning and welcome to Unfolded Hearts Talk. Uh, we thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Unfolded Hearts Talk is a production of Unfolded Hearts Ministries. Um, um, you can find us on the web at www.unfoldedhearts.org. We thank you again for joining us today as we talk about, um, we're talking about the ABCs of change. And our special guest this morning is Lee Strickland. She's an author, a radio show host, a speaker, consultant, and entrepreneur. Lee brings her faith into the workplace and encourages others through her working at faith ministry to also live their faith at work. Lee holds a master's in applied biblical studies from Moody, um, excuse, excuse me, Moody Bible Institute and an MBA from the Ohio State University in accounting, change management, management and marketing. She, she owns Focus Resources, an international strategic consulting firm working with individuals and organizations on growth and change issues. She's the author of over 800 published articles, 150 workshops, and seven books, including her most recent, The ABCs of Biblical Change and Lessons from the Pentateuch. The ABCs of Biblical Change is a five-book series applying biblical insights and lessons to change and growth for individuals and organizations. The first book in the series, currently available from the Amazon and other retail outlets, provides lessons on personal change from the lives and the principles from the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Lee utilizes people and the events that are familiar to us to point out how change happens, how God takes us on a journey to change, and most important, how our faith can be the greatest force of positive biblical change in our personal lives. Well, good morning, and welcome to Unfolded Hearts Talk, Lee. Thanks for having me on the show, Deborah. Great. It's great to have you here. We thank you, and I look forward to um, talking a little bit about more how even, um, a little bit, if you can tell us how this idea uh, to even write about change came about and why you chose um, the first five books of the Bible um, to write about that. How was that inspired? Well, God always seems to give me different topics and titles, and then I'm always wondering what the content's going to be. But in this series, he actually taught me about change because I had a completely different title mm-hmm. and was trying to make it happen, and it just wasn't going. And I kept thinking, dear Lord, I need to write this because you're telling me to write it. Why is this not working? Because I'm not used to it not working. And so one night laying in bed, he told me why it wasn't working. I needed a different title and a different format. And he says, it's the ABCs of change, and this is the way it needs to happen. And I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, okay. So, I mean, I literally grabbed pen and paper and started, you know, laying out, okay, how's this going to work? What's in the first book, and how do I pick what? And it was really surprisingly easy to come up with someone or an event or a topic for each letter of the alphabet. And the book is the series of books are divided following through the Bible. So through our Protestant Bible, we start with the Pentateuch, and I'm working on the history book and wisdom and a book based on the prophets, and then the New Testament brings it all together. And so it was really exciting that when I finally heard what he was telling me on how to write this, that it just went so smoothly. Um, and it's just, you know, he's always teaching us to change and realize 
listening to him is the most important part of making a good change. Yeah, well, that's really neat. That's exciting, too. That's very encouraging. Can you tell us, is there, um, when you were started to write the ABCs of change, what, I mean, I think a lot of people um, can sometimes identify with someone, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, but they can identify with um, someone in Scripture, you know, like their life um, and and some of the events that they've gone through. So tell us, um, Tell us, do you see any reoccurring themes and change throughout these um, different biblical um, models that we have? What we have in the first book, the ABCs of Biblical Change, Lessons from the Pentateuch, is a personal focus on it. So how does God change us? How do circumstances change us? So like we will frequently be familiar with Abram becoming Abraham and his journey, but we don't often realize that he said yes, but he didn't commit fully, right? So God said, leave your family, leave your homeland, and he took his dad along, right? And he took this person along, and then he, you know, everything seemed to take longer until he was fully committed when God said, sacrifice your son, and he said yes, right? So change is personal. It's also a process. It's step by step, and we don't change overnight. So, you know, when we look at Abraham and his journey, we can look at, you know, Dinah and the life-changing moments that was in her, were in her life. And look at Moses. He killed someone and ran to the wilderness. And then, you know, 40 years of his life in Egypt, 40 years before God called him and 40 years leading Israel. And so we just have to realize that we don't, as much as we want to, we don't change an instant. God knows that. He works with us to change us gradually, to have events shape us. And if we're leaning on him it doesn't matter if there's a family dynamic like going on with Tamar or, you know, all the ups and downs of our life, which I cover in valleys. It's just understanding that it takes time, and God's waiting on us, and God's loving us through those change. And while we can't see why circumstances or events had to happen that way, God knows why they had to happen that way. And so we can make it through any change, positive, you know, caused by ourselves, caused by our circumstances, caused by influences of the world, as long as we're leaning on him and the body of Christ. And so how would you say, um, and that's really good, how would you say, um, because circumstances, I think, are can be a really big hurdle or maybe a hindrance in people's lives, and especially now it seems, um, as far as change, even in the world, and I, and I know I'm just using that as an example, because um, even in our personal lives, I mean, I want the focus to be about a personal life by bringing the world's part into it is that, uh, you know, the, the laws are changing. There's just things are overturning, overturning that um, perhaps, you know, a lot of us may, might not choose or we might not agree with it, but there's circumstances having people um, lose their jobs, you know, and, right. um, you know, a lot of people, their um, parents are getting older. So when all these circumstances, how do we, how do we help and change to our focus to come back to a personal God in that when we don't, we're not really, when our when our eyes are more on the circumstance itself. Well, and I think part of it is we're taught that we're in charge of our lives. We're supposed to take control. We're supposed to be able to make things happen certain ways. And the reality is we're not in control. Part of being a Christian is submitting. That doesn't mean rolling over when the world changes and we have, you know, the Supreme Court, Congress, you know, our government doing things that are not biblical. 
So change really is first and foremost personal. We can't change the world if we haven't changed ourselves first. And we change the world by starting with ourselves and then our influence on how we impact others. And in the second book in the series, which I'm writing now, is is taking that personal dynamic of am I who God wants me to be? Am I living the life and the example he wants me to be? And that can be from family dynamics. I mean, it can be from, you know, events that happen that people you don't know. So like Dinah being, um, you know, people argue whether she was raped or she had a relationship. But those life-changing moments where people around us are worse circumstances or in this day and age, I like to think of Lot, and he's my L in this first book, and that's he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. He did business there. He put his family there. And so he lived in that constant physical and spiritual danger of his time. And that was part of the problem because he became used to it. And that's something we have to be careful that we're not becoming used to it, that we don't turn on the TV and we see something that's objectionable and we keep watching the TV show. Because we've got to be aware that maybe as adults we can screen out and say, I don't believe that, but I'm going to keep watching the show. But what about our kids? And so if they see that. So we have to be constantly aware of the changes and say, okay, how do I live my life so that that's not coming into it? We can't be separate from the world. And I love a book called In But Not Of, and I can't remember the author's name. But he reminds us we're always going to be in this world till Christ comes again, but we don't need to be of this world. We don't need to be living that lifestyle. We don't need to be accepting things that are non-biblical as acceptable because the world says it is. And how we fight that is by strengthening who we are in our relationship with God through Christ. And so we look at that. We can look at the mistakes Lot made. We can look at life-changing moments and, hey, look at Noah. He had the whole world, you know, going to hell literally and figuratively, but yet he and his sons and his wife and his daughters-in-law built that ark, and they were surviving life storms because they kept their eyes focused on God. It didn't matter how sinful, how awful the world became around them. He had his eyes focused on the mission God gave him. And as long as we stay focused on that mission and we change how we look at the world, how we interact with the world, and make sure we're staying rooted in the Bible and staying close to God, then Life might be more difficult in some ways, but it becomes a lot easier in others. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Tell us a little bit more, if you will, because, you know, um, when we, um, um, as believers, a lot of times we stay in the New Testament, and and some of the women from the Old Testament, like Dina and Tamar, as you were talking about, don't get, um, we need a refreshing on that, you know, or or sometimes maybe some of our listeners haven't heard about the life-changing moments and the family dynamics. Could you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. So, like, one of the, the second letter in, in B, I use Bilhah, and we think, well, who's Bilhah? And we forget that she is the hand servant to one of the wives. And so it's kind of, they're kind of like repeating that the Abraham and Sarah using a surrogate to have a child because here, here they are, they're married. She's a hand servant to Rachel, Jacob's second wife, and we know how that second marriage type of thing happened with Jacob. And so we're thinking, okay, so why is he doing this? Because in our society today, it's one husband, one wife, or, you know, biblically that's still how we believe. And so it's like, okay, so 
why are they not trusting God and waiting on the timing? Why are they making choices that say, okay, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm not going to wait and see what God does. And even it's kind of amazing because they, they are part of the family of Abraham, and they know how, you know, Sarah had a child so late in life when she shouldn't have been able to have a child, and yet they do stuff because they want it now. And so we see these people, on the same with Dinah, we see this dynamic of, as I said, some people believe she's she's one of the sisters of the children. And so her brothers, so here they are, the ten brothers, the twelve brothers, actually go out when she's had a relationship or she's been raped, and they go out and, and basically kill everyone related to that incident. And it's like, you know, Lord, why? And again, different texts outside of the Bible to say different things about the stories. But we see these outside influences. And when we look at Tamar, here she was, the daughter-in-law of Judah. And she ended up, you know, not being honored in that family. She wasn't a Hebrew. She wasn't of the line, but she married into the family. And the son she married of Judah was trash. That's not the only thing you think. He was this horrible person. He, you know, did all of these things, and he didn't honor their relationship. And then she ended up married to the next son. And as each one died, there was a promise that the younger son would become her husband. And Judah said, nope, she's bad luck, basically, and said, I'm not giving him to her, even though she promised it. And so she went about tricking her father-in-law to have sex with her to have a child. And so, you know, we look at that family dynamic of dysfunction, and yet something miraculous came out of that because Tamar's son became part of the line of Christ. And so when we look back at the different sequences in the Old Testament, it's important for us to look back at them to understand all of these people and all of these incidents and how God used different things to create the line from which Christ comes and comes to us as a Savior. So, you know, Christ's ancestry was not perfectly Hebrew. And that's pretty amazing because it's like Ruth was a Moabite, so she came out of the incestuous relationship with Lot and his one of his daughters. And so when you look at this tapestry of threads and bad human decisions and the circumstances of how, you know, the world was and the choices people made, yet out of all of that, God wove this, this cloth, this path that leads to Christ coming to be our Savior, to make a difference in the world. And we don't really realize that if we don't dig into even the smallest mention of someone in the Old Testament. So there's nothing in the Old Testament by accident, whether it's two sentences you know, one mention of a person, there's a reason God wants us to know that person was there, that that incident occurred. And if we don't go back to the roots of the Old Testament and look for where God built the story, where he was getting us to know who he was, where he was changing the world by presenting this family that became a tribe, that became a nation, that impacts every one of us and that would not... Our salvation would not exist today if everyone hadn't gone on those journeys to find God and know God and for him to take all the human mistakes and missteps and poor choices and impatience and, you know, control issues, I like to say, where we want to do it ourselves. We can learn so much from the Old Testament about how patient God is, how loving he is, and how he's waiting on us 
always to turn to Him and submit and be obedient and be willing to follow even when we don't understand what the next step is going to be. He wants us to take this step to make this change, to be this person He's created us to be. And so we all too often look at the bad events in our life. It's like, why me, God? And it's like, why not me? God loves me, and he's going to use this for something. And it's so hard to see that when you see family members doing things that are completely objectionable, when we see the world falling away more and more from God, our faith under attack. You know, there's just so many things that are saying, God, why don't you do something? And he's, and he's basically saying to us, I did, I created you, and each one of you have to make a change. Each one of you need to reach out to one more person, and that person needs to reach out to another person. God made us for one-to-one relationships with him and one-to-one relationships with everyone else, and we change everyone by changing ourselves and living that life and that focus that on Christ and becoming more like him and loving and being patient. And personally, I'm not a patient person. And so, you know, the different circumstances in my life, God has been trying to teach me patience for over 50 years now. I will learn it one day. Mm -hmm. So we just have to accept all of these dynamics that are happening and say, okay, God, help me get through this. Yeah, that's good. That's really good because um, a lot of times our circumstances, as you're saying, are out, they're out of our control. Like we would might say, I wouldn't have chose this, you know. And whether you know that's a job loss or a bankruptcy or a sickness, an illness, uh, you know, something you wouldn't, you know, something you see your son or your daughter doing that you think I, I would that wouldn't be my choice for you, and it just grieves your heart. That um, and going back to God. And knowing his heart over it is, um, and I love how you say that, that it's, it is one-to-one with him and one-to-one with each other. You know, um, sometimes when we're um, in church years ago, I would tell my husband, um, we would read uh, that scripture where it would say, confess your sin one to another. And I would always turn to him and say, that's not plural. It says, you know, I mean, not that we couldn't, you know, but it, but when we confess our sin one to another, that's just like a one-on-one thing and and then um when we work through that it becomes a testimony not that you can't confess to more than one person but but god is saying that is enough you know if you confess your sin one to another um so i love that you say this so let's talk a little bit more about change um and just the basis of change and our choices change as an event happening, I think we tend to think of it as like, well, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to get healthier, to lose weight, to, to have a better relationship, to you know, go to church every Sunday. But that's, that's a statement, but that's not a goal. It's not specific enough. And change happens when we're in pain. We have something motivating us. There's something out there that we're really passionate about and we want and that we can get specific about. So if we're going to say, I want a better relationship with my kids, well, how are you going to measure that? So what is that better relationship? Is it making sure that you're sitting down to dinner every night? Is that Bible study together? Is it making sure every morning you're sitting down at the breakfast table and having conversations? Is it having one-on-one time? It's I'm going to have a better relationship with my child, and it's manifested by X, Y, and Z, and these are the steps I'm going to take to do that. But And what is that motivation? And so we need to get specific about change and realize change is a series of one-time choices. 
So if you're going to lose weight, am I going to eat that piece of cake or am I going to eat an apple or am I going to eat anything? I make that choice, and it's a choice that it repeats. If you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know, I'm going to make the choice not to drink. I'm going to make the choice not to be in a situation where I would be tempted to drink or do drugs. I'm going to change who I hang out with. And I think with change also it's important to understand, and the dynamic is that we tend to live up to the standards of people who are around us or down to the standards of people who are around us. So it's important how we choose our friends and our companions in life, our spouses, our coworkers, where we're going to work, who our friends are, because good behavior gives us something to go to and people to encourage us to to do more, to be our Barnabas, the encouragement to achieve what God meant for us to achieve. Or we can have friends in low places that drag us down and cause us to have less motivation, more tendency to follow along with that group. And so change is personal. It's about personal motivation, choices, and a series of choices. Not a one-time choice, not a New Year's resolution, but a choice that in this moment, at this time, I'm going to make this right choice. And it's like eating an elephant, one teaspoon at a time. You're going to make one small choice every time, and sometimes it's going to be a big choice. You may have to cut off an unhealthy relationship with someone that drags you down until you get strong enough to minister to that person. If you're not strong enough in yourself, we need to seek out people that help us make the right choices, who help us dream the big dreams, that help us realize that we are unique and created by God to do certain things. Like, I would love to be a singer. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I love Mm -hmm. to listen to my friends who can sing. And so it's it's acknowledging that God didn't mean for my talents to be singing. He gave me writing. Someone else says, oh, I wish I could write. And I'm thinking, but you sing so beautifully, and you can sing about God's Word and His message. And so each of us are giving a different way to be to be unique and fit in the body of Christ, to support each other. And we each change at our own pace through our own relationship with God and in making those choices one after another. That's really good, and I really appreciate you um, not only just illustrating that in the Word and explaining it, but it's very practical and um, applicable in how to do that. So I really, really appreciate that about you. And, you know, I was thinking when you were, yeah, I was thinking about when you were saying um, we live up to a standard, and, you know, I was thinking of the Scripture because I was just talking about this with my husband uh, yesterday. I was talking about the Scripture that says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard. And so I was, and I never thought about it until you were just talking now, but sometimes the standard might be a companion or a person we know that can lift us up to the place where God wants us to be. And I never seen it like that before that it could be um, that his standard could be that very person that encourages us again, just to live up to um, what God has for us and, and leading us in the way um, of his path, you know, and the things that, as you as you say, and you're thinking, what makes us special, you know? Yeah, because I think all too often everybody wants to be special, but they want to be special within the box of what society says is special or what's acceptable. So I can remember living in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and I would walk through an office building every day about closing time when everybody's getting off to work. And I would watch everybody getting off the elevators and the escalators, 
And one day I just stopped, and I stood there, and the security guard comes over, and he says, what are you doing? And I said, I want to know where the cloning machine is in this building. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, turn around and look. There were only three colors of men's suits. There were only three colors <laughs> of men's ties. They all had the same shirt on. The women were dressed almost identically when there were women coming out. And I said, everybody wants to be special and unique and be seen that way, but they dress the same. They act the same. And so we have to be aware that when we're living in the world, we're, like I said, we're in it, but we're not of it. We don't want to look and act and dress the same. And so standing out and being unique and realizing, okay, God gave me an ability to, to learn or to preach or to teach or to work with kids, to encourage, to support. I mean, we can look at all of those gifts. No one was given everything because God wanted us to lean on each other. Mm-hmm. And so I might be the arm. You might be the other arm. Somebody else is the heart. Somebody's the feet. And so we come together in this body of Christ, and when we come together and be willing to say, this is who I am, this is what God made me to be, I'm going to look at what God made me to have and to be and to use, and not worry about what I don't have. If I can't sing, I'm not going to enter a talent show, but I'll manage that talent show because God gave me administrative abilities. And we just have to look at things differently and not look as the world looks at us and says, what we're not. God looks at us and says, I made you wonderful and unique, and I made you for this purpose, and I love you just as you are. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think that... Um And I think that sometimes um, as Christians, we think that that we are being, you know, maybe self-centered or conceited. You know, we want to be humble, but I think that sometimes there's a mix and confusion to view that, to accept who God's made me to be, and now how can I take that and strengthen and use it for the body of Christ, you know, and that equipping um, for the body. And so, um, yeah, I think right. that there so needs like, to be. Go ahead. When, when, I, when I write, someone says, how did you learn to write that? I said, I've honed it that God gave me the ability to write. It's always been there. And so I wrote as a child when I was a child, and I wrote poetry, and I wrote short stories, but they were like a child would. I'm over 50 now, and so I write as a, a mature 50-year-old person with a lifetime of experience writing, but the ability to be practical in my writing, to find those messages and the right words, is not something I decided I was going to have. It was something God gave me. And so I think our humility comes in realizing what we accomplish is through what God has given us and how we use it and how we put that power behind it. I can't take any pride in having a gift to write. I can take pleasure in the fact that the gift God gave me to write and to speak helps others, reaches others, and shares his word and his message, but I can't take pride in having that innate ability that he gave me. I can give gratitude for it and enjoy it and use it wisely, but I think that's where we find that balance, realizing everything we have, whether it's our talents, our our lack of talent, when some areas we wish we had, but it all stems from Whatever we have, whoever we are, it's because God created us in our mother's womb. He knit us together and said, this is who you're going to be, and this is the purpose I have for you. Just, you know, follow me, and you'll find it, and you'll be a success in his eyes. We get too hung up on being a success also in the world's eyes. 
Yeah, that's good. And let's go back to where you opened because, you know, um, you even said that you sought the Lord in writing this book. So you, so going back to your ability and your um, goodness that you're still yet seeking him in it, you know, because he is forming and shaping and, and, um, and, and you, but you were talking about change that all of it comes back to listening to him. So let's end with a little bit of a note on that, taking our ability um, and our strengths, if you will, but I hate to um, use it that right. way, but our, our, our ability and listening to him and growing in that. Well, and it's a lot of us tend to know what that is. If you think back through your childhood, I can remember setting and doing, even writing term papers in college and thinking, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. This is what I get excited about. So it may be you're a potter. And when you're working that clay, it's like mm-hmm. so exciting to see what you're going to create. I mean, there's just so many things there that whatever it was that you can think back and find that happy moment, working with a child in Sunday school, reading a book. I mean, there's so many things. And when we find that spark, that thing that we can remember, like that moment, I was the happiest moment of my life. I knew who I was. We embrace that and work around that and just grow from understanding that maybe that little spark I felt, that little you know, that little glow was God saying, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what I created you to do. And then yeah. grow into that. Because we we get confused by what the world tells us. We're supposed to be the doctor, the lawyer, make money, do this. But we forget that we need the plumber. We need the car mechanic. We need the guy that cuts our lawn. We need so many of these different pieces of our our lives, and each one is correct and wonderful and joyous if it's done in the service of God and to serve his, his children. And so we find that passion and that listening when our gut tells us something. Usually our gut is actually our head and our heart saying, hey, look over here, you're not supposed to be doing that, or hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And we just have to be willing to to tune out the noise of the world and what they're telling us we have to do or we're supposed to be and listen to what God's telling us we are. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, well, we're going to continue on just for a few more, for about 10 more minutes. We um, Our on-air listeners have left, but we are on recording. So those listening to iTunes or podcasts, that doesn't um, affect okay. you. So, um, but I do, you know, that reminds me of when we were building our home and just watching, um, I was thinking, okay, we're just one family that's going to live in this house in our community, but to watch all the people that it took to put this one house together and all the families and the backgrounds and the communities in which they came from to just help um, build and for one family to live in this house, I just remember being impressed by that, you know, that there's so much going on in the background of people's lives, um, you know, that help us, you know, lead yourself, and, and I could give testimony to that help us to be who we are, you know, and that build into us so that we can keep moving, you know, and build into others. So, so we are all connected, you know, and some people I just want to say, I was praying one time and the Lord, I was asking him to show me um, in the body of Christ, what part am I in the body of Christ? You know, you show me, Lord, I want to see, you know, well, I might know my ability, but what part in the body would you say that I am, Lord, you know? And, um, you know, the Lord, and I just say this humbly, but the Lord just showed me that I was more of an internal organ. Right. And he 
he showed me that um, the very function of what I do is um, it's more of an internal thing. And just that little um, scene, if you will, where they're doing surgery and the people are up top watching while the doctor cuts open so that people can see how that function of that organ works and process the whole body, you know. And so sometimes there's some things that um, we have to say that because sometimes we need to just um, be still before him to see what he has to say, you know, and watching and observing others to, that, um, that we might gain to see how our ability um, is used in the body and its function, you know. Well, and it's like, you know, people always want to be the head or they want to be the heart. They want, you know, they want to be, you know, the things that seem to be the most powerful. But then, like, you find out you're the kidneys. Well, the body doesn't yeah. function well without its kidneys. It needs the purification system. You know, if you're the liver, you know, it's we have to understand that every part of the body is necessary for the body to work as Christ designed. And we need to be willing, if we're the fingernails, you know, and the fingernails may be what people, you know, hold on to that rock with and keep them tied on to this world and to their life and holding on. It doesn't matter which part of the body is, as long as we're the best at that, that we can possibly be and celebrate it. I mean, the fingernails are important or God wouldn't have put them on our hands. Our fingerprints are important. Now we're each unique and there's a purpose for every part of our body and there's a purpose for each of us in the body of Christ. And we have to be willing to be the kidneys and internal organs, the skin, the fingers, Uh whatever it is God has made us to be. And that's so important. And I don't think we always understand that. We don't, and I have, and I will say, I had to ask the Holy Spirit myself to open my eyes of understanding to see in the community, if you will, just um, what my part is that I might stay focused in that. So if I might see and understand, have an understanding of the importance of it and how it fits together in the body, um, then I can see my part in the community clearer and and also focus. Um, more so on what my part is, because like you're saying, if someone's the skin, like everything would come pouring out and be all over the place. It would be a mess if right. you didn't have skin, you know. The skin is one of our most important protective barriers, too. It keeps out bad things. Yeah. And so if someone's the skin of the body of Christ, that means you're there defending the rest of the body, Right. You might get cut, but you can regenerate. You might get damaged, but, you know, you can regrow. And it's just understanding, you know, relating it to that. So it's like, what is our role? The head, the brain can't do anything if it doesn't have the body to move. Mm -hmm. If we can't speak, if we can't hear. And so it's like there's nothing more or less in the body of Christ. It's all of us coming together equally to do the part we have to do to make the body work. Amen. And not and not letting the outside, I think, again, just to end with, not letting the outside influence of the world say um, what is more important or what isn't, but looking to God's design and God's heart and who he created you to be and how you, you do have a part um, with within the body and just seeking him. And I just want to ask before I ask you to pray for our listeners, if you have any last, you know, anything stirring in your heart um, or any last thoughts that you'd like to end with before praying. I would think, wish the best change for everyone and that it be the change that God is wanting them to have to change themselves, to embrace who they are and to listen 
to be quiet and know what the messages God wants to give them and, and how he wants them to grow and change. Don't try to be anybody else. Be who God designed you and created you to be. Good. That's very good. Thank you. Well, you could you pray for our listeners today? Certainly. Dear God, we thank you for the gifts and experiences you have given us. Thank you for making us unique. God, give us unfolding hearts so that we have recognized the opportunity in our lives to come to you and to come together. And thank you for the ability to create, to change, to grow. Thank you for watching over us as we learn, as we take each step. Thank you for loving us and being our strength when we change and we grow. And help us to grow, to be more Christ-like, to be an influence on the world by how we think, how we act, and how we live. Let us be the change that brings others to know you, dear Lord, and be with us in everything that we do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the empowering um, Holy Spirit that um, that helps us bring change. Father, we thank you for uh, that voice, Lord, that only speaks truth to us. May we, may we be yielding to the voice of the Holy Spirit and obedient. I thank you for that, Lord, and, and I thank you, thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, I just want to say to our listeners, um, you can find and purchase the book on Amazon, and also you can find, Lee, um, if any of those are thinking that maybe you have a workplace or a ministry or something where you would like a little boost of encouragement or direction or you feel like God's creating something in your heart um, and um, and even mentor or have me come alongside of you um, and the functions that she works in, even career and organization, you can find her on workonfaith.com and also focusresourceinc.com as well. So we thank you, Lee, for your time today and just for sharing with us in very real, practical, biblical, and applicable ways. Um, I, I, I like the simplicity of that and just the follow-through um, of your heart. And I know that our listeners um, will look forward. If you're in the midst of change, I would just encourage you to, um, or transition in some way, I would just encourage you to get her book and, and um, appreciate your teaching flow, if you will. And I'm sure that that comes out in your writing flow as well. So God bless you. Um, thank you, Deborah, for having me on the program. Thank you. And I thank our listeners for joining us today. And, uh, um, and you can follow us on the Blog Talk radio program, Unfolded Heart Talk. If you follow us um, there, you will automatically get an email um, on our next broadcast as well. So thank you again for joining us and blessings on everyone's weekend and your day. And as you continue to seek him, you will find him. Thank you again, Lee. Thank you. <laughs>